This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. I'm very excited to welcome Lisa Ward, who is a family physician and chief medical officer of Alliance Medical Center. During the Tubbs fire in Santa Rosa in 2017, she was directing an, a federally qualified health center that was engulfed in flames with patients in the hospital that was surrounded by fire. She was a key leader in helping the community to deliver healthcare services to vulnerable people during the crisis. She didn't want me to say that. She was too shy. Um, and French was also is also a family physician who cares for adults with developmental disabilities. And during the fire, the flames were licking Sonoma Developmental Center, and she sprung into action to develop a response to move people with developmental disabilities to a safer location and mobilize to deliver care. S.B. Sarangan is an immigrant from the Philippines and has been a nurse for 35 years and a dear and trusted colleague of mine. She is an alumni of the UCSF nurse practitioner program and has been a service provider in the Arfpushin homes for 14 years. These homes serve people who came from developmental centers to community homes where they received 24-hour nursing care. She was the first recipient of Golden Gate Regional Center's Community Hero Award in 2020 for serving clients who had COVID-19 infection and who were displaced from their own group homes or family homes. These three professionals provide us with real lived experience of managing natural disasters and disasters, which will only become more prevalent with climate change. They performed heroically in unimaginable circumstances. And the developmental disability service system is really designed to be reactive to the needs of individuals but in natural disasters, we need to be proactive to address the needs of, of a population. And so their insights and their example can help us to develop our own personal plans and also to be and also proactive policy for the community because we know more disasters are coming and they will impact people with developmental disabilities and their families who need uninterrupted care. To the extent possible, individuals shouldn't be put in the position of having to improvise. So I'm very excited to hear what they have to say and the insights they can provide. Thanks a lot, Clarissa. Um, I'm going to try to share the slides here. So just give me feedback if that doesn't work. All right. Well, thanks so much, Clarissa, for that introduction. And um, I really appreciate being here um, and have learned a lot from um, Dr. French over the years and have really enjoyed SB's um, information of boots on the ground. I think that this is a lecture that I've been to as a healthcare leader many times and just felt a little bit dismissive because it's not going to happen and it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of thinking and a lot of teamwork. But I just encourage you to um, be as proactive as you can because these are circumstances that will be more successful with planning and that needs to happen before they happen. Um, none of the three of us speakers um, have any disclosures to give. Um, and we're really going to talk about preparedness. And this is the task of really planning, organizing, and practicing um, through training and through um, 
scenario trainings, um, how to respond to different types of disasters and emergencies. And as I said, you really don't have time to prepare for them when they're right in front of you. Um, so um, really these emergencies happen at any time, as we know, they sort of seem distant and remote and random and may not happen to us, but they do, they are, and they're increasing. Um, in the past five years in Sonoma County, in our neck of the woods here in California, um, our residents and community members have been exposed to two fires, multiple heat waves, I think three floods, um, countless storms, and many bouts of power outages that affected hospitals, clinics, um, institutions, pharmacies, etc., um, and each one of these singular events has a pretty significant impact on the staff who care for our clients and patients, our patients and clients themselves, our families, our communities, um, and all types of providers. So it's the, the, um, the impact is lasting. And that is the case for preparing to just reduce that impact and make these events as smooth as possible. Uh, sorry, my slide is now not advancing. Hmm. Oh, there we go. All right, so this is a um, photo and it's really intended to get your attention. Um, this is what one of the neighborhoods in our community in Santa Rosa looked like after the fire went through. Um, this uh, is close to a fire department, ambulance um, dispatch units. It's very close to our hospital. Um, and so just imagine if you lived in this community and you're a caregiver, how difficult it would be for you to provide your regular um, work services. If you had a care home in this community, what would you do to care for your clients who were um, in your responsibility? Um, and so this is really devastating um, in, in its impact in that moment. And um, this is meant for us to really think about and get motivated to plan for disasters should they strike. So just to give you a sense of the scope of the impact, um, when we had these fires in 2017, our patients with developmental disabilities, our clients that we care for, were scattered or distributed um, to six counties um, that were outside of where they lived and were cared for. Um, 50,000 people, which was 30% of our town in Santa Rosa, were evacuated from their homes. Um, 4,500 or more homes were lost um, in the fire, which included homes that our clients and our patients lived in. Two of our three hospitals were evacuated, um, literally because fire was bubbling the paint on their walls. Um, our clinic infrastructure shut down with really the exception of the federally qualified health centers. And um, one of our key um, mothership clinics that has 50 rooms was um, so badly damaged it was inoperable and so it really impaired um, even though we were in operation it impaired our ability to be as accessible and open as we would have wanted to and it was hugely impactful on staff and patient access 
Um, as Clarissa Kripke said in the introduction, our local developmental center had fire at the gates and was evacuated, which impacted many patients. Um, 240 plus patients had to leave their care homes in the community. Hundreds of staff who would have cared for those patients could not get to them because they were evacuated or their homes were impacted. Or on the other hand, there were staff at homes at the developmental center caring for our members of our community. Um, and they couldn't go home and had to do extenuated like marathon shifts because our patients were moving and transitioning and they were just involved for days at a time because they couldn't leave and didn't have replacement staff. Um, and, and our patients and our clients were evacuated to gyms and community centers um, all over our county and other counties in the process that were wholly unequipped um, figuratively and literally to handle the care needs of many of our um, of our dear people. So it was very impactful in particular on our um, disability community. So we're going to talk through a couple different perspectives with that kind of context in mind. We're just going to talk about the evacuation phase and uh, how that um, takes place and how you can really be ready for that because there is often no time. You need to have practiced and trained and prepared and it's go time. Um, the second phase we're going to talk about is where people landed after they were evacuated. So this is getting people to safety and where they're placed. And as I said, gyms and community centers, and those were often temporary stopping points. And so there were sort of multiple relays of transition where patients had to go as they got out of county. And then the third thing is really to lift up our um, our faces and our minds and think really about the long-term systems planning that we could um, consider, which is really like the bulk of what we want to do to prepare um, to care well for our patients and our clients in the setting of a disaster. So thank you all for sticking it out to the end of the day. I hope you find some of this um, experience and this information practical and valuable. And I'm, I'm deeply grateful to Anne and SB for being partners in this talk. Thank there you, you go. Thank you. So um, first of all, I just wanna say that this two-day conference has been riveting. It's been fantastic. So thank you for all of the information. Um, for me, it was a little bit unusual because I was in the middle of transitioning out away from Sonoma Developmental Center as it was in the closure phase. And I was working for both Sonoma Developmental Center and Santa Rosa Community Health at the same time. So um, I was not on campus the day that it happened, but uh, basically on the morning of October 9th, 2017, fire was rapidly headed towards one of the residences on one uh, corner of the property um, at Sonoma Developmental Center in Eldridge, which is in Glen Ellen. And what that meant is that the staff that were there working had to manually push their wheelchairs away from the flames. So if you can imagine taking a unit, a residence that had like 30, 40 patients on it and running from the flames. So evacuation was the first um, consideration. And then what happened was the patients, uh, first they were evacuated to a safer site on the campus and then they got evacuated to a shelter, which was Sonoma High School. Um, 
And uh, just picturing the amount of effort that it took to get people um, out away from uh, uh, the um, fire was more, I mean, it was more complicated than you can imagine because, you know, yes, Sonoma Developmental Center had um, mobility vans, they had wheelchair vans, but not really necessarily designed to get everybody off quickly. So essentially, um, you know, that day was harrowing. They got to Sonoma High School, and then a few days later, they had to evacuate um, again. Um, And they were taken to Dixon Fairgrounds because that was far enough away east eastward from the fire. Um, When I was working for Santa Rosa Community Health at that time, there were several Arf Pusham homes that um, essentially, as Espy will uh, allude to later, they were amazing. They they knew what to do. They went into action and they they took care of themselves. It was amazing to watch. Next slide, please. So if you look at the, 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 the picture on the left and the right are both from the Sonoma High School. And the one in the middle is actually a Santa Rosa uh, shelter. Um, one of the things that's important to notice is that a lot of the um, special needs patients have a lot of special equipment that can take up more room. And, and if you look at the beds on the floor, you can see that that might be less than ideal for both the patients and the staff taking care of them. So coir lifts are gonna be needed. and um, uh, so it's really significant. Next slide, please. Um, so in looking back, what, what worked well? Well, like I said, many care homes and individuals were able to evacuate safely without support. Um, there were networks of support either that were related to the, the, um, companies that the care companies that were at work or, um, just talking to each other about what, what we can do and where can we go. Um, was very helpful. Um, Hospitals also were able to support individuals with um, electrical or oxygen needs. Um, I heard from our local hospitals that this was not utilized much, so it might be something that we need to communicate out. Um, And then the regional centers were able to uh, help uh, clients with needs as they arose. So for example, one of the things that's interesting about the picture that Lisa showed in the beginning about that devastated community is understanding that there were areas of the community that were intact from fire. And so people were sheltering in place. And so what do you need for sheltering in place? Well, sometimes that means you need a generator or you need uh, an air filter. If you do need to evacuate, then maybe you need a hotel reservation. Um, So that was stuff that the, uh, the regional centers were helping with. Um, And multiple agencies uh, work really hard in the Office of Emergency Services in our counties to help identify and locate and communicate with patients that are vulnerable. So um, that was actually really eye-opening for me. Uh, And I'll talk more about those in that slide later. Um, And then just sharing resources uh, amongst ourselves. You know, having a network where we become sort of the experts where we help people get what they need. Next slide, please. And in terms of, um, actually, isn't there another slide? There should be one more. Yes, Um, so things that um, don't, that didn't work as well. Um, Like I said, the shelter sometimes needed Hoyer lifts or uh, getting 
on a cot was not ideal for a lot of patients. That was um, not going to work for them. Um, there was one patient in Santa Rosa that ended up dying because of um, a lack of uh, electricity. And that was not a patient with IDD. It was um, somebody that was oxygen dependent. And um, that was terrible. And that's the last thing we want to happen and why we're talking about this, because something as simple as a power outage, which can be a very common event in any of these storms that we're talking about, um, can, can really have devastating impacts. Um, so when you have staff that are evacuated, then it can be really difficult for clients to rely on their, their typical uh, supports. You know, regional center had people that were evacuated. Everybody had people that were evacuated. So trying to get um, help could be very difficult. And then hotels de definitely supported a lot of clients, um, but it isn't necessarily an ideal setting for a lot of patients and not ideal at all for behavioral crisis. So that was um, stuff that came up. Um, and then in the shelters, it's really important for us as docs to have access to all the computers that we need, um, the computer access to take care of the patient's needs. So again, if you think about evacuating in the middle of the night, medications are gonna be the first priority and trying to get patients their meds is important. Um, so uh, with that, I'm gonna to transition to SP Sarangong, who is an incredible nurse practitioner and also an ARF Prisham service provider. And she will get into the nitty gritty of how to prepare for an evacuation. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Espi Saronga, uh, a service provider for Artfusion Home. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Artfusion, it stands for Adult Residential Facility for Persons with Special Health Needs. Primarily, we serve adults with developmental disabilities who are medically fragile and require 24-7 licensed nursing supports. These individuals are oftentimes bedridden. Some of them are long-term mechanical ventilator dependent. There are 93 artificial facilities in California, and each home serves four or five individuals. Climate changes continue to impact our lives every day, and I want to share with you how the artificial community prepare, plan, and respond to disaster emergency during including evacuating them to safety. In 2017 and 2018, our homes in North Bay had to evacuate due to fire. And only last month, one of our homes had experienced prolonged power outage, which lasted for one week due to flood storm. So this uh, slide on the nutshell uh, is the framework of our evacuation plan. And I will explain in details on the next three slides of how we prepare for evacuation in the care home faci uh, facility setting. So how do we, how do care facility like Artfusion prepares for evacuation? As we all know, an emergency can occur anytime and true enough, you have at least when you, it happens when you least expect it. Imagine yourself working in a care home setting, caring for five medically fragile individuals with complex medical needs. Two of them are mechanical ventilator dependent. It is staffed with two nurses, one respiratory therapist, and two DSPs or bedside caregivers. A knock on the door came from a police officer stating, you guys have to evacuate because the smoke are getting thicker in your area. You must relocate outside your zip code. 
our facility put in place a system to execute evacuation within two hours of occurrence. Our team believes the longer we wait to take actions to respond to a disaster, the fewer options we have to react successfully to keep our clients safe. This is overwhelming for everyone, even more so given the complex and fragile needs of our clients. So emergency plan is a key to success, and here's how we execute the plan. First, we activate a communication tree. All staff were give, were sent a group message asking them to come to work. Everyone is informed of the situation and ask them to come to work if it's safe for them to report. At the same time, a quick notification is sent to the family members, agencies that regulate the home, such as community care licensing, DDS, and regional center. Staffing coverage could be challenging during this time, all hands on deck situation. Our staff had gone above and beyond to respond and reported to work for extended hours to ensure that there are enough coverage daily. Fatigue and burnout can sit in easily, but the staff had shown resilience and compassion and worked um, countless hours. And each of them to this time have their own story or moving story to share. We have to identify a relocation site. So sheltering our clients to hotel is not an option. They are not set up to accommodate our clients. So partnering with other service providers who operate day programs as it is the most suitable place for our clients to relocate where it can fit 10 to 15 beds, hospital beds it is. And they have ADA bathroom and they are equipped with um, basic medical supplies and emergency supplies. So um, when we do have to evacuate, transportation is the key. So each home only have one van transport with a lift. So during evacuation, you need more than one van. So we have to reach out to other service providers outside the area to loan us a van. And quickly we have respond, we receive response from them and they step up to the needs. So um, next slide, please. So there are medical equipments that we need to carry with us when we relocate, such as portable gas generator. And this has been a life-saving equipment for and also for the staff to sustain the provision of services in the relocation site. Other medical equipments that is ready to go with our clients include medications, medication cards that has 15 to 30 days of supplies, treatment card with dressing and supplies. So each of our clients also has a prepared backpacks or luggage full of clothes, blankets, linens, incontinent care, personal care items that is available to, and ready to go with them. And we tag it as a to-go bag and each of them are tagged with their name and photos. Next slide, I think. Oops. Um, so caring for, can we go back to the other slide? Yep. I need to apologize. I think uh, Dr. Ward, you, we- My slides are in a different order than you expected. Yeah. Sorry, I'm <laughs> messing with your- I'm sorry. Train of thought. So caring for the medically 
fragile when evacuation outside the facility is needed. So again, the first priority before, during, and after a disaster is the health and safety of our clients, and their needs must be ensured in the disaster. Furthermore, we aim to prevent any medical threatening events, What and what help us achieve this include, first is the staff support. It is critical to have familiar staff to care for them outside the comfort of their home, to keep them safe and reduce the anxiety of or stress that can trigger exacerbations of their medical conditions, such as seizure, respiratory distress, insomnia, anxiety, and many more. Medications, there should not be an interruption to receive their routine and as-needed medication. Our, we work collaboratively and very cohesively with our PC primary care physician, which is Dr. Clarissa Kripsky, and she is available 24-7 for any medical support, may it be medication or treatment order that we may need. Uh, also, the availability of the medical records. Each client has an emergency medical binder that is kept in their backpack. It contains copy of their most current medical progress notes, physician orders, medication lists, the pulse, face sheet, contact information, and medical insurance, among others. We also have must have the availability of the medical equipment, such as tube feeding, formula, and terror supply, suction machine, tubing, and uh, um, availability of oxygen sources, such as portable or backup ventilator that is battery-powered, ambu bag, CPAP, BiPAP that is also battery powered. Provision of uh, dietary needs is very important while we are relocating. Meeting the nutritional needs of our clients outside the home is a priority, either by tube or by providing them food by mouth that can be easily prepared within the principles of balanced nutrition. Next slide, please. So finally, this slide will give you a broader idea what the care home typical emergency survival box contains. It should have a first aid kit, battery powered radio, batteries, extra water, non-perishable food, as um, simple as the manual can often air, coolers, battery powered food processor, flashlight, walkie talkie. And I would like to end by saying, as a service provider, this experience have tremendously shaped my advocacy to continuously improve the quality and access to services of the clients we serve. Now, and I, I will turn it over again to Dr. French. Hi there, thanks. Thank you, Espy, that was great. Um, and a great uh, little thumbnail on our push and home care homes. Um, so I told you that I was going to talk a little bit more about how the county of the Office of Emergency Services um, takes care of vulnerable uh, individuals. So there are systems in place and basically the regional center uses Everbridge and so do the hospitals. They actually have a system in place, which is a uh, it's sort of like a prescription service that allows you to text and get a response back from your patients. And um, this, this allowed them to track responses for who needed help, who was able to be evacuated in, in a real-time fashion. Um, PG&E has a medical baseline list that we utilize for understanding who is needing um, equipment that requires electricity 
or oxygen. And so that was also a list that we were the Office of Emergency Service was able to access. The IHSS, the in-home support service database was also accessed by the county, which they run. So um, the this was all really um, amazing to know how the Office of Emergency Services works, but it also helped us understand the network and help each other understand how we're all the different networks that we can rely on. So there's within our own medical organization, how do we get a hold of our patients? Um, and then, and then the other, and then how does the bigger county work on that? But the other thing to keep in mind is that um, you got to plan for obstacles. Like what if the cell, several cell towers were burnt? So cell service was unreliable for some people. Um, and how do you get a hold of a person who doesn't have cell uh, or phone service anymore? And so what ended up happening was the city of Santa Rosa in those patients, in those people that were not evacuated from the fire, they were going door to door for all the patients that were not able to be uh, contacted via the other um, systems. Uh, next slide. So um, the other thing that we wanted to sort of talk about is just being proactive and, and, and be ready for different kinds of disasters. Um, fires in particular were so um, difficult because they went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so first of all, the fires were lasting that long, which meant that the smoke was terrible for very long periods of time. And so um, training the staff to track the um, air quality is really important. This is just a little picture of purple air. Um, that was actually purple air during the fires. Um, and um, the, you know, this became important because uh, I think the staff wanted to go to the fair and it was like, oh, that's a little too dangerous. You really can't go out. Like I shouldn't be out in that air, but they definitely shouldn't be out in that air. Um, so just understanding what can, can be triggered when, um, uh, you know, and helping staff understand the risks. Um, it really comes down to that. And so uh, we also encourage them to get air filters in the house. We encourage them to get generators when that was needed so that when we had to shelter in place for long periods of time, um, you know, this was the 2017 fire that we're talking about, but we had another one. Um, and we had, we also had periods when our town wasn't on fire, but the smoke was still bad. So these are all like nearby things that can affect our town. And then of course, we just had recent flooding and Certainly the fires taught us this as well, that um, your exit route, you really need to have A, B, and C because we had multiple uh, directions that we could not drive um, in, in the fire and that can happen with flooding as well. Um, also making sure that structures are evaluated for safety after a disaster. Um, it's particularly flood and earthquake. Um, and then um, the other thing is preparing for um, power outages that can be uh, very prolonged. So that's another thing to think about. And if um, care homes or family homes or somebody needs uh, a generator, that's really important to make sure that we understand that need. Next slide, please. So how did we at Santa Rosa Community Health, what we did at the inception of our IDD care program, um, which was right at the time of this, this fire, um, we developed uh, an advisory board, an IDD advisory board. And uh, it was actually one of my patients on the committee who has IDD that wanted to talk about emergency and disaster planning. And so we spent, we meet quarterly, but we spent a whole year on this subject and we had 
different members on this team. Uh, we had the Office of Emergency Services there. We had the hospitals there. We had um, the uh, law enforcement there. We had all the different you know, um, members of the community to help us plan for the next disaster. And certainly we've had a lot of practice now. And um, I would just also, I'm putting a plug out for this advisory board because I think it's a great thing to do in any community is to bring the people together that can help you move the ball forward on IDD care and justice. And we have, you know, we started out with the, the typical gaps in our IDD care, like dental care and psychiatric care, but we're moving towards trying to serve the community uh, in broader strokes and um, versus uh, very specific needs. And uh, one of the things that we were working on now is an IDD resource guide that's been the work of the last year. So it's really important. I think, next slide, please. I think that one of the things that um, I've realized is that um, with our IDD care program, it, it, you know, we, um, we've been able to meet with our community partners in a way that has helped us really, A, be community-centered, to be focused on individual needs, and, um, and also to connect with each other. And um, it really does feel like doing this IDD work is, is so important. I, I love this work. Um, but it's really important not to work in a silo. And we are, you know, by connecting with each other and sharing resources, sharing tips and tricks, clinical pearls, all of this is really important. And I think it, it the disaster, the disasters, plural, has really um, helped us. In fact, I would say after Dr. Maldonado's talk, I mean, the pandemic was another disaster that I think helped us really focus on our patients' needs in ways that we were way more nimble in, in addressing those needs, which um, was thrilling to think, uh, to, to watch. It was uh, heartwarming to see like, you know, the shared um, camaraderie and in doing this work. Um, and so anyway, I just want to say that uh, it's, it, I, we learned a lot. Um, we're stronger for it. And definitely love is, thicker than smoke. So thank you very much for your attention at this late hour of the day. And um, the next slide has our contact information if you want to reach out to any of us. Thank, thank you so much. This is really practical and important information. And I think people need, need to hear from people who have been through these experiences that your relationships with colleagues who can help that, that DDS or your regional center or, you know, or the police or um, are, are, are not going to solve these problems for you in the minute. Um, they might warn you, uh, but to, to some extent, you're on your own. Um, and if you need help, the, the time to get that help is before you need it, not after, um, because nobody's going to tell you what to do in, in that moment. You're going to have to figure it out and better to figure it out now and, and to have those relationships. And I, I was struck, SB, in what you were saying about the professionalism of your staff, but, uh, and that when you put out a call and said, everybody you can show up for work, and they did, um, that doesn't just happen either that 
happens because of years of relationships and trust built with your staff and respect given to your staff and um, and having a team that can pull together quickly comes out of a lot of good management over time so that people are willing to step up when they need to. Um, so I, I am um, deeply grateful for you sharing your, your experiences and your expertise and your warning <laughs> to, to us all today. Um, thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.